Please be seated. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Following, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I could go back to the first step and then just leave it there. Thank you. So, I want you to take a wee look quick at Levi and Jesus and that moment of meeting. Uh, Levi was a tax collector. We also know as Matthew. It turns out he's the one who wrote the first four Gospels. So he, he becomes one of the twelve. Uh, but he was originally Levi's name, but possibly it was his surname because he might have been from the tribe of Levi. But uh, those things don't matter really just. But he did operate, and we know this from the number of times it was mentioned in the Bible, he operated on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. So it's way up in the, well not way up in the north, uh, in the north of, uh, of Israel. But it's not in the north of anything else. And he's up there and uh, he's in Capernaum. And Capernaum uh, has a bit of a wealthy sanctuary. It's on the shores of the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's a place where important Roman uh, military people and important uh, Israelite Hebrew people, the wealthy, might have had their summer homes uh, or some of the places that they would retreat to uh, for peace and quiet. But it was also partly the wealth came from that, but partly the wealth came from the fact that, um, if you can imagine a map with uh, Jerusalem down at the bottom of the Dead Sea and all that. The River Jordan wiggles its way up. And then the Sea of Galilee is up there with Nazareth to one side. Uh, so most of Jesus' first year in public ministry was spent around this area. But Capernaum on the north of the Sea of Galilee was on the main motorway from, I'm getting my sides wrong here, but from the far east <coughs> to the Mediterranean. Right? The, the main trade routes would have gone through Capernaum or close to it. And therefore, this is an important place for the tax collector because he wasn't just, this wasn't like Robin Hood, this wasn't somebody who could write villages taking money off the poor. This was the person who was employed, he was local, he was Jewish, he was employed by the Roman authorities, and he would have had something like, do you remember the days when he used to go through the dock or, or Nuri, and somewhere in the middle of nowhere between there and Dundalk, you went past a wee wooden hut in the middle of the road. And uh, if you slow down enough, somebody would land out to try to stop As you try to smoke the border. Across the border. So something like that would be probably much more elaborate. Levi had a place that everybody had to get through. And he would have had Roman soldiers, he would have had officials, he would have had civil servants. He would have people working for him, and they weren't just taking taxes off the passerby. This wasn't a toll booth. This was a tax on the trade. So the camel trains would have had to stop and unload. Everything spread out on tables or whatever, searched, 
added up and then taxes applied to that and that was taken off them and put into the treasury for the Roman Emperor. And of course the problem was that this was all unregulated uh, so Levi could add whatever he wanted. And it was taken off you. If you wanted to trade across into the Mediterranean or if you wanted to come from the Mediterranean and trade in the Far East, you had to come past one of these places. He was unpopular. And very wealthy. Jesus was walking past one day. I suspect he doesn't just walk past. He goes deliberately past, doesn't he? And he goes over to Levi and says, I'd like you to join my little band of disciples. Now there's the first week of us. Jesus sneaks up to us. Jesus is all around us. Jesus meets us in the street. Jesus meets us in this place. But Jesus is always on the lookout for another person who might respond. And I don't mean necessarily responding from never having responded to him before or never having known anything about the faith, but that Jesus is always just looking to see who might want to become more, who might want to respond again, who might want to hear my voice, who might want to grow in their faith. He's always on the lookout for that. Now, couple, couple of quick examples of how you can miss this. Uh, we were in London as a family uh, a number of years ago. We used to go to, well, I've done we were actually, we used to go to uh, watch musicals. We love musical theatre. We used to go to watch musicals. And there was one time we were staying in a hotel, and my daughter Ruth and I were on the lift, headed up to whatever our floor was, and the, the doors opened on another floor, and then stepped in, oh, no, you know, a footballer, Arsenal footballer. Ian Wright. Ian Wright. Right? And as you do on the left, we were pressed against the back wall, <laughs> and he stepped in and turned to face the door, but was a distance from us. But we didn't have that. I'm sure you could hear us. <laughs> but anyway, we came to this door and he exited without us saying, Is it you? <laughs> now, that happens to us. And could you imagine it happening with the Spirit of God or with Jesus Himself? <clears throat> Nudging at us, whispering in our ear, presenting Himself in the street, at our place of work, or at some other moment when we're not expecting. And we're thinking, is that Him? No, it's not. I'm just making that up. I'm just thinking that myself. How are we going to know when it's Him? prompting us to say something, or do something, or give something, or join something, or become something. And the second one was, and I don't think it was the same weekend, but we were actually in the theatre watching um, Wicked, if that means anybody. And it was the last night of a person in the cast from Kerry Ellis, yeah. who was playing no, the other one. The other one? Yeah, Elphaba. Elphaba, she was the one. She was the one that mentioned the name Elphaba. Carrie Ellis. Oh, supposedly the one. If that means anything, but Carrie Ellis had been doing it for quite a while, and it was her final night, so this was a big event to be had. 
And sure enough, we're sitting there in our seats looking forward. We get really excited because there, there's all sorts of extra things happening in this performance. And one of us looked back and looked around along the road, and there was David Brian May from Queen, the guitarist, Bohemian Rhapsody, all that good hair thing going on, sitting in the row, and of course, is that him? Yes, that's him, that's him. And proved to be him because he got up at the end of an open stage because apparently he was a very good friend of Kerry Ellis and been promoting her career and all of that. And it was him, we got. And that's what we want to be like when Jesus comes up to us wherever it is and says, Come with me. Or we ever think of this? We want to be able to recognize the big hair or whatever it is that we get used to recognizing that this is Jesus. And Levi, this tax collector, and one of the commentaries that I looked at suggested that Jesus has been operating for quite a bit of time now in that region around Capernaum, around Galilee, that maybe Levi had already seen him and had heard him and knew something about him and watched whatever it was Levi said. Yes. And amazingly it says he got up and he left everything. Now, you could walk out of the office and just leave everything behind, but what it actually means is he never went back. He literally left it all and followed Jesus. That's quite outstanding. Quite stunning that somebody would do that in a moment like that. For the vast, vast majority of us, that isn't the call that Jesus puts on our lives. But he does say, would you? Listen to this. Hear this. Become this. And we don't have to leave everything behind. But you can nearly guarantee you may have to leave something. You may have to set something aside. Or maybe a bit more time. Or a bit more space. For something that Jesus might want to do in our lives. But here's what I think is the best bit in this story. Is that Levi. Now I've never done anything like this in my life. In the sense of having heard. Or suspected to hear Jesus saying something to you. If you go home from the church service. You can read a book. Or read your Bible. Or pray. Or you can ask something. Or somebody has said something. You listen to something. And you think, was that God? Is there something in that? I have never thrown a great banquet uh, to celebrate. And that's what Levi did. He was so taken with this that this Messiah person, that everybody's beginning to think, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? That he was so excited by this that he decided to tell everybody. And he threw not just a banquet, but a great banquet. He got really excited about the possibility that God wanted to do something in his life. So much so that he told friends, colleagues, all the other people who loved him, that cheating everybody out of money and storing it up and spending it widely and everything that they're doing. He decided he just wanted to let them all know that I think the Son of God, God the Son, has spoken in my life. I really mean when I go back over Christmas, somebody saying, we need to live our lives as if the only reason that anybody could think we live like this is because God is real. Our lives need to seem so ridiculous to the world that the only reason could be that God is real. Levi throws this great big party. And although Jesus had 
had walked up to Levi out in the street in his place of work. This was Levi's way of inviting Jesus to come and be everything you want to be in my life. I'm inviting you into my home, I'm inviting you into my friends, I'm inviting you into my wealth, I'm inviting you into my banquets, my food, my party, my celebration. I want you to be in the middle of it all. And that was Levi's invitation. Jesus had invited Levi to follow him. But Levi responded with an invitation to Jesus. Would you come into the very being and center of everything that is me? And here's our last couple of thoughts. How does Jesus respond to an invitation like that from a person like you or me? And allow for the fact here that Levi has a huge track record of badness and of conspiracy and of cheating and of all sorts of things. How would Jesus respond to an invitation from a person like that? Because I think what most of us hear whispering in our ears is it couldn't be me. I'm not good enough. I'm not out there enough. I'm not verbal enough. I'm not you know, all those I'm nots. I couldn't. I'm nervous. I'm frightened. I'm, yeah. Um, how does Jesus respond to Levi's some sense of just laying it all bare and saying, you know, you know what I'm like? You, you met me where I work. You know what I do. You can hear the stories of all the people around this town. But would you just come in anyway? And look at Jesus. Jesus does three things. The first is, he takes the risk of turning up. This could have gone badly wrong. Levi could turn out to be the one day as bad as he ever was. But Jesus took the risk of turning up. And Jesus will take the risk of turning up in any of our lives. When we open them up and say, Lord, would you use me a bit more? He will take the risk. And he took the risk because other people weren't going to like it. And weren't going to appreciate it. And weren't going to think it was a good idea. Because we read that the Pharisees turned up and said, what are you doing with him? Jesus takes the risk of using people like you and me. And then secondly, he takes all that's offered. Right? He doesn't say to Levi, no, forget about your big party and uh, all your awful friends and everything. So I'll, I'll meet you tomorrow somewhere quiet and I'll talk about this. And Jesus walks in and accepts it all. He says, I'm prepared to work in the middle of this. This mess and model that is your life. I'll come in and we'll start there. And the third thing he does is that Jesus revealed slowly but surely that this wasn't a mistake, that he really knew what he was doing with this person. Because he realizes that, and I'm reading into Jesus a wee bit here, Jesus realizes that for this thing that he's beginning, for it to go forwards, for it to move, he's going to need certain sorts of people in the place. And one of the people, one of the sorts of people that Jesus is going to need, or this movement is going to need, um, is people who can write, 
and read and collect information and put it together in a concise and meaningful way. So we end up discovering that this person who has been running you know, this branch of the civil service and running all this thing that he does and is very accurate, knows his seventh crime number and is absolutely accurate with everything, becomes a gospel writer. There's no mistake about this call. And of course, the entirely effect of that is that we're all needed to be well, then he couldn't use me, because I couldn't do that. But he does, he uses people who welcome, people who smile, and people who say hello, and people who make things, and do things, and carry things, and give things. Help things, drive things, pray for things, play things. There's no mistakes on that. When you hear us, we whisper. To say yes, whether or not you want to throw a party to celebrate it, or whether you want to just get on with it, I typed up the words that me. Yes, you know me this. Do you know the head just as I am, I know the be? Listen to some of the verses. In the glad morning of my day, my life to give, my vows to pay, with no reserve and no delay, with all my heart I come. Those fantastic words. And just as I am, young, strong and free, to be the best that I can be, for truth and righteousness and thee, Lord of my life, I come. Where the whole realm of nature mine, where the whole realm of nature ever, if I owned it all, that would still be an offering far too small. Love so divine, and the verse right, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And whether that will turn that into a great banquet, or whether it's a quiet thing. And Jesus takes the risk of saying, yes, of course. I'm happy to have you on board in whatever way that will be possible. So, we'll come all you non-faithful. Come the weak and the unstable. We'll come Barren and weary ones, weary of praying, come. Come, the bitter, the broken. Come with fears still unspoken. Come, guilty and hiding ones. There's no need to run. See what your God has done. I think life is made up of just a big long series of new starts. You get up every morning, you wash the dirt off, and you put on a new face, or clothes, or whatever. You open a new book, you turn over a new page, you open a new document on your laptop, you open a new app, uh, you drive down a new road, you park in a new place, you meet new people, you serve new customers. It's a long series of new beginnings. 
whatever, I'm happily unashamed to invite you to new beginnings as we start what feels like from now this run to Lent and then to Easter, Easter of new beginnings and new starts. So come, all you unfaithful, come, all you broken. We should really say that. So let's start.